Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 208 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm sitting in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alright, and Jaime's off doing work-related things and hanging out with his buddies and Greg's doing a talk right now at the, I think it's the Swift Language User Group or SLUG and we'll, okay. we'll find out about his talk afterwards. Uh, so yeah, so last week was our 207th show, which was actually the around the around the date of our fourth anniversary. Although the other day, yesterday, I noticed that um, I had retweet I had tweeted that uh, four years ago that our episode number two had come out. So I don't know if our I guess our publication publication date is correct, but I, I, we I, we weren't doing shows that often, like because it was like not even a week later. I guess that uh, the Tuesday Tuesday or I guess it wouldn't have been a Tuesday. It would have been yeah, maybe it was yeah because we got four years. We got four days. Days, right uh, as the calendar moves forward every year mm-hmm. i'll have to go back and figure out what day of the week that was maybe but. we weren't doing every every week back then i don't remember no i think we start we started with every week and but i but i think the public the production was uh, um not quite as streamlined as it is now right mm-hmm. like now now we record wednesdays and by saturday or sunday i've got the show out you know but i think back then we were i don't know what we were doing <laughs> yeah to be honest with you sorry what, i don't think we, I don't think we had like, any any fixed schedule i don't, don't even remember what night we used to record on or what you know I think we just got together when we could, right? Yeah. It wasn't until we established Wednesdays. I think we actually started on Tuesday and then switched it to Wednesday really? for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think I, I don't think I, I think I just published it as soon as I was finished. I didn't kind of sort of wait or mm. take my time or what have you, right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think, well, yeah, I mean, I was self self employed back then too, so I could have, I could take my time and you know, or I could sit down and just power through it, right? So, yep. for now, I have to sort of break it into a couple of days and go back to work between. Yeah, yeah, that work gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but anyway, we got a nice shout out um, today actually from uh, Sean Marson because actually when I po- posted out that. Um, the fact that we had episode two had come out four years ago uh, yesterday, he replied back. Says he's been with he's been with us all the way. Congrats on four fantastic, informative, insightful years. I think that's what Greg says actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he's been a, he's been a sponsor. So thanks, Sean, for sponsoring us on Patreon. Uh, we should he's send him a T-shirt school. or something. He's, yeah, I send him T-shirts every year. He's, oh, he's got okay. plenty of T-shirts. In okay. fact, in fact, if you look at his his profile picture there, I don't know, Mark. I don't know if you can, you can see he's got the new uh, WWDC version on. He's sporting on his profile. Oh yeah, picture. how about that? All yeah. Right. So a funny story is um, I sent him one, um, and I just I just grabbed one out of the pile. I don't know what I was thinking, but I actually sent him a ladies small the first time around. Oops. So yeah. So I, I told him to go ahead and uh, give it away to some uh, happy recipient at a at a meetup or something. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he did that. I don't know. He'll let us know. Thanks, Sean, for all the support. Um, and we got a shout out to we. I think we mentioned uh, Mark Palmer's post on Xcode uh, Git status bash prompt. Which I think it was Jaime's pick either last week or two weeks ago. So we got a reply back from him. So you're welcome, you're welcome, Mark. Thanks for uh, being uh, giving us some exciting, exciting things to talk about. All right, um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, so I have a follow up item here from a friend of mine, Gemma Barlow. She posted this on Twitter, and it was an article by. It doesn't seem to have a byline. Weird. 
settlements are closed. Well, it's on the financial uh, financial or flow financial planning or flow fp.com website, um, and it's about uh, what we've been talking about before with you, Mark, is RSUs mm-hmm. versus stock options, and uh, so it's an interesting breakdown here, sort of the the, the TLDR for uh, developers. You know, when you start a new job or um, you get you know uh, you you may get offered uh, either RSUs or stock options, and uh, and how they break down, and uh, it very clearly explains, at least to me anyway, that you know um, you might with a stock option you might have to pay something initially, um, and you may end up paying more than the stocks actually ends up being worth uh, to buy the stock. Whereas RSUs are, are I think they, they don't have a strike price, right? Is that correct? That's and correct. Then, um, yeah, and then and then but but if you leave the company, you risk the uh, losing those RSUs, right? Yeah, like and you, you typically early, get whatever. fewer of them. So it really really depends on a couple of things. I mean, this this is a good article. It's a good summary, but I'll try to just sum it up quickly. That it, sure. it, it depends it depends on two things. Really, it's your your appetite for risk and the chance that you think of the stock of the company that you're getting the uh, the stock from uh, the chance of them doing really well in the future. So with a stock option, if the company stock doesn't do any better than it is on the day you get the option, you will end up with nothing. Uh, with the RSU, you will at least get the value of the stock at that time, uh, even though th- you'll probably be offered a lot more options because that has the risk involved. Uh, and of course, if the company does do very well, then you can make enormous amounts of money. But That's with you know, RSU or stock options? That's with stock options. Oh, okay. Yeah, because so a stock option, you'll have, let's say the stock today is selling for $10 and you have, so you join on that day and you get an option to buy at $10 just for the sake of argument. Uh, and they give you, you know, let's say they give you 50,000 of them or whatever the number is. Uh, well, if that stock goes up to say 110, well, then you suddenly have the right once you're vested to sell all those options that you could buy for $10 for $110. So you make $100 per share right away, right, which right. is pretty, pretty cool stuff. Now in RSU, uh, they will just give you the share outright on the day it's vested. Uh, and uh, you don't have to pay anything for it, but they tend to give you a lot fewer of them. So, right. you know, right. unless the company goes out of business, you're guaranteed to get something. So if you work for a very stable, solid company, that's, that's uh, you know, not going to have a lot of growth, then yeah, you pretty much always want an RSU. Uh, if you're at a little startup where the, you know, there it's, well, you may not even have the chance of getting RSUs at a startup because usually they're not public yet. So, so they really can't give you the stock outright. But in a case like that, where you're accepting a lot of risk because you think the reward might be great, you know, the company might grow a lot, then then an option might be a better choice in that case. Because in that case, right. the strike price is usually pretty cheap anyway. If it's an early pre-IPO startup, you know, you might you might spend you know a less than a buck a share on on the on the sure. option strike price. So when so when you get a job like is that like, I guess that's part of the op, part of the offer is you get so much salary or whatever, and then you get some stock options as part of the part of the to sort of sweeten the deal as it were. Yeah, that's that- that's typically true. So I mean, generally there's kind of three components of they like to talk about total compensation uh, these days. Yeah, there's a salary, there's a bonus, and there's and there's the equity piece and it, you know every company is different um, smaller startup companies uh, that don't necessarily have a lot of cash on hand uh, tend to like to give out more equity because you know it's essentially free yeah, it's to free give money, you yeah. a, a, more, a bigger piece of the company uh, and as a trade-off you get lower salary and you're making the bet that you'll take lower salary now because in the future at some point the company's going to explode and you're going to get enormous amounts that's that's the trade-off you're thinking of. Um, but at a bigger company where, where for one thing, you know, there's there's not a lot of equity left to give out, right? Because a lot of it is out there already. You know, sure, shareholders yeah, yeah. have it or investors have it. So there may not be that much equity. Uh, they tend to give higher salaries. Um, then, of course, there's companies like Google who give you a good salary and, and lots of equity, but that's different. Right, Those are right. fewer and far between. Yeah. So so like in the case of my employer, um, we, we, we have the ability, like it's a public company and it's very solid and whatever, has a you know, good stock price, not super high, but um, so I, I have the option to buy stock or employees at our company have an option to buy stock and then the company will match that stock up to up to a limit, like, you know, yeah. not not a whole lot of money, but um, we're not talking, talking thousands and thousands of dollars. 
dollars. But you know, so you can, you can basically it's like free money. But if you think about it, like because they'll 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 double up what you you pay you if you pay. I think it's like I think the price in U.S. is probably like fifty five dollars right now. But you pay that, and then they'll give you a stock to match that. But you have to keep it for two years before. So that's the vesting part. You have to hang on to it for two years, right? Is that the same sort of thing as, well, so as an RSU? That's or? interesting. So well, so typically that kind of thing we call it an ESPP employees right yeah it's a savings program yeah 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 um i've never heard of you having to hold the stock once you buy it i've never heard that before no no I, what i'm saying i buy the stock and i own the yeah. stock right? right so if right. i buy 10 shares i own 10 shares but they'll match by giving me 10 shares so i oh, have the 20 shares gotcha gotcha oh so that's actually pretty yeah. good then yeah yeah and, and it's up to you if you don't want, if you don't want to participate you don't participate but if but if you do it's like getting you know free money from from yeah. the, it's like getting an extra kick to your to your salary it's not you know yeah. it's not like it's not an earth-shattering amount of money but but it, but it can it can be kind of nice uh, especially some companies have uh, a plan and it, again this varies from company to company but some companies have a plan where there's a purchase period uh, and it's usually like you know six months or so where you get to buy the stock at the the either the the lower of the start or the or the end price or maybe the lowest price in the period or whatever it depends on the plan so if the stock goes up a whole lot in that period of the plan and say that six months and that that time can vary uh then you have the right to buy the stock at the cheaper price so you know if it's on the first day of the period if it's selling for a dollar last day of the period is selling for twenty dollars well you get to buy it for a dollar and sell it for twenty dollars the next day if you want which is right. which is a pretty nice thing so you can do really well there usually i mean those are kind of exceptions but it happens so that's kind of nice all right cool yeah by the way just uh, i just want to talk about the so last week we posted our, our our fourth anniversary show and we had some pictures of the various developers on the show so in case you're wondering those of you playing along at home driving at home um the pictures are myself and greg obviously and then tammy because you can tell because she's got lucille in her hand and um and jaime and and so I asked I asked the guys on Slack uh, what uh, how old they were at the time the picture was taken. So I was six, um, even though the the image says 1967 on it. I think Greg said he was seven or eight, and I think Tammy said around the same age too. So I don't know. I haven't heard from Jaime, but you know he's such a little guy; it could be any age, right? At that point, yeah, it could have been last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, except for the fact he hasn't—he's not doing the blue steel thing. I was thinking about like a you know, little raised eyebrow thing he does, right? I was thinking about uh, uh, photoshopping yeah. that in. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so that's that's us in the thing. So I just, so coming back to this whole sort of you know where you are in your your career and stuff like that. The next post we have here, um, this came via Jesse Chartier, who talked last year at uh, 360i Dev. She's involved in um, women, uh, you know, girls who girls app camp for girls, and you know, basically, uh, and she her talk last year was. A about how uh, the, the trouble isn't so much getting women into tech or you know hiring women or that kind of stuff. It's getting young women to sort of see that as young girls to see that as as a career path. Um, I actually just posted a I'll post a link in the show notes. I just posted a, um, a video I watched on um, on LinkedIn uh, where a lady talks about a, t- uh, a game that she made uh, to help girls to encourage them to become developers at a really young age. So it's kind of it's just the thing. I think it's called uh, Goldie Blocks. Um, anyway. Just coming back to this article I've got here is it's about um, why do, why senior developers I guess why developers become frustrated and can't, companies can't find talent and it's it's uh, interesting to talk about how um, you know a lot of us like like senior developers intermediate developers get hired by companies that already have an existing code base and you know we kind of have to we go in and we have to constantly be solving problems and fixing other people's code and and uh, I guess over time you know unless you're inclined to do that kind of thing it might get kind of frustrating mm-hmm. um, but it's in, it's basically a talk about quality time and money right um, and how you know it's kind of in this in this I, I normally think of that as a triangle because that applies to any sort of work whether it's design creative or whatever you know there's always the question of quality and money and time like the joke is you know you can have you can have you can have it good you can have it quick or you can have it cheap pick two right um, you know because because good work t- costs cost takes time and and quality work you know uh, takes time over over time so it's kind of interesting talk here about how they break down what a startup might look like where you know quality kind of gets squeezed between time and money because you're trying to get something you know as we talked about before there there isn't a lot of time to get you want to get to market quickly um, and there may be some compromises in terms of how things are put together um, and so it's a good little uh, essay, essay on on how um, software uh, you know 
it is built and kind of uh, can lead to frustration for some developers, right? Mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to look through it, Mark? Yeah, I looked at it uh, briefly. Uh, it, it, it basically makes makes sense. Um, I'm not sure I follow the, uh, the diagram so well. I mean, I kind of get what you're saying, but I, <laughs> yeah. I've always seen Triangle before too. Um, oh, okay. And of course, we all know about the the you know the shared hypotenuse of the conjoined uh, <laughs> triangles of success. Yeah, you want to say yes, yeah, but that doesn't good. apply here. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? Shared hypotenuse of the. I, I was trying to remember exactly what it was. I think it's the shared hypotenuse of the of the of the conjoined triangles of success. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, it does very very have a sort of rhombusy sort of shape to it. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 And yeah I mean, this, start... this is an interesting take on it. it. There's there's kind of two things sort of being mixed in here. Uh, one is that you know s- startup companies uh, she's talking about uh, you know don't have a lot of money and a lot, don't have a lot of time, so the quality suffers there, but then she's also talking about junior design, uh, junior developers not having experience, so doing things poorly. Uh, and I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I, I, I think they're two different dimensions there, but it feels like they're kind of being mixed in here. Um, but, you know, I think basic ideas is reasonably good. Look at the barium cell at the bottom, I think, or barium molecule at the bottom. Isn't that what you got? The six six uh, atoms that float around the nucleus. Um, I remember that from chemistry class. Uh, Don't yeah. ask me why. Yeah. But but uh, I could never figure out why we studied barium. Or was it barium? Is that what I'm thinking of? It was. It's was something we used to, we studied in chemistry, and it used to drive me crazy. But yeah, so like in this diagram benzene. here, they got like Are you a, talking about benzene rings. Benzene rings. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Thank okay. you. Yeah. See, I, I blocked it out of my mind. It was so such a horror. But anyway, so you start off with with new developer. You know, writes bad code, gets more experience, starts to write better code, and then starts to fix the bad code, and then you know eventually gets frustrated. I mean, I, I, I admittedly I get frustrated with my own work sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. going back to stuff I wrote years ago. But. Oh, and everyone has experience of looking back at something they wrote, you know, a couple of years ago and saying, what? I wrote that? <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? What was yeah, I thinking? well, I don't know. Yep. No, I can remember writing it, though. That's the, that's the scary part about me, right? <laughs> this is Fragner Bracca who wrote this piece, not uh, not just Chartier. She just tweeted about it. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, he's got 9,000 uh, uh, likes from people, I guess, for this article. Interesting read. I, I think, you know, I think it's worthwhile having a look through it. Um, if you're, like, if you're somebody sourcing developers or resources Sourcing, as we call it, um, looking for some people, you can sort of find out why why it's a challenge to get people to to stick around, or why it's a challenge to get people to come in the first place, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit tied into. She's, uh, he talks about the economics of the situation. It's it's a little bit yeah. tied into this whole um, you know the whole outsourcing because people overseas are much cheaper, and you can hire a whole bunch of cheap engineers right, elsewhere, right. and and then but you end up with shoddy work, and and you have to hire a senior person to come in and fix at all and maybe that's right. not as bad as it was a few years back but you know that the problem still exists so it's 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 uh you know it's all tied into um maybe management I, I, a lot of it is a management issue is you know trying to maybe do too much too fast on too yeah, small a budget yeah. to get the results that you want you always end up paying more at the end yeah one of our senior managers used to say uh, dev managers used to say you know when asked to, to produce something and you know why can't you just throw a whole bunch of developers out and you would sort of say well you know you can't get nine women and make a baby in a month right Right, right. I mean that you know. that problem was uh, was de- or that theory was debunked something like forty years ago, maybe fifty years ago at this point. In the, book, the yeah, the mythical man month. Have you ever oh, read yeah, that yeah. book? It's a, it's I a haven't classic, read it, but yeah, yeah it's a classic. I, I wouldn't call it a software engineering book, but it's a software management book uh, written right, yeah. by one of the guys who managed the software team for one of the early IBM mainframes, and it basically summed that up: is that uh, you can, if you try, if you have a, a problem that's going to take. Uh, one engineer six months, let's say. Uh, yeah, you can't get an equal amount of work done by hiring in a month by hiring six engineers. It just doesn't right, work right. because the more yeah. engineers you have, the more time they spend uh, having to talk to each other and explain things to each other and interact with each right, other, right. and and so the growth rate slows down. It's it's a real interesting book. It's 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 very dated in in the um, like he goes to examples of how a software team is set up, and he's talking about something from the '60s where there's there's one main engineer and you know 50 people punching the cards and things like that right uh right right yeah there wasn't there wasn't this concept of a lap or 
a laptop or a machine on everybody's desk and everyone's writing their own code. So there was this one programmer and a giant support staff. Uh, sure, and sure, so, sure. so it's a little bit dated in his examples, but basic concept is, is really interesting. I think that's sort of, that should be required reading of every software engineer student just to. True, yeah. I know. I, I think it is. I, I think it is um, something that, I mean, I haven't read it personally, but I, but it's, it's been on, it's been mentioned to me a thousand times yeah, in, the, yeah. in the years that I've been doing this. So yep. for sure, for sure. Anyway, just an interesting talk. It's, it's kind of segues in from what we were talking about before. Um, the other point I have, the other uh, article I have here is about uh, Google. I don't know if you heard about this, but it's been going around, buzzing around the last couple of days uh, about Google um, location tracking. People oh, you know, yeah, can go and turn that. location tracking off. And I don't know if you've heard that they actually have this uh, setting that's a little deeper into the uh, into the Google account. I think it works with your Google account um, where you have they have this setting called web and app ticket activity that apparently stays on even when you turn off location uh, services mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. or location history. And it's uh, Google argues it's because they want to basically pr- deliver to you the you know the the best experience they can, so they keep right. tracking you even when you think you've turned the, their service off. Uh, I have an article here that I've just grabbed from uh, Wired. Uh, I heard about this on CBC the other day on the on the morning news. They were talking to Jesse Hirsch, who's their their in house uh, techie. Um, had you heard about this at all, Mark? At all, I hadn't. Last of days? I hadn't heard about this. No, really. Okay. Yeah, it's it's been making the rounds, and and so. You know, it's gonna there's gonna be some backlash against Google, obviously for for this kind of thing. Um, you know, might you know I probably make yeah. a blip on their stock or whatever, but well, and it's know. it's ma- making around. People are people are like going into it, and you know, I'm sure there'll be some fervor. But an interesting analogy that that Jesse Hirsch um, gave out, and I, and I really made me stop and think for a minute, like because you know, yeah, you know, I I know I have location tracking on. I mean, I use Instagram. I, I you know I I post where I'm taking the picture, simply because that's kind of the nature of why I'm why I'm posting when I post. You know, either I'm doing stuff for marketing, or I'm doing stuff to promote the show, or I'm doing something to to have an opinion, or to to mark you know a particular location where I found something of interest for Instagram's sake, for instance. So I know that I'm I'm volunteering to be tracked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about it is, is like the the average Joe doesn't know necessarily, right? They you know yeah. they're told by their buddies on Facebook or whatever to turn off this location history thing, but they don't realize that they're still kind of being watched, you know, for their activity. And I think you know we've talked about people being creeped out by that, you know, before we've had, you know, people ask us about that specifically, but, um, the interesting analogy that, that Jesse Hirsch put forward was what if somebody could put a sensor in your toilet, right? And if you think about it, they could find out a lot about you with that sensor. Mm-hmm. They'd know, you know, where you've been, yep. what you've been eating, you know, who, who you've been with, right? Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's kind of, not that he's saying that Google's doing this kind of thing, but it is kind of the same sort of thing. Like, like, you know, yeah. you could find out about yeah. your health situations, you know, whatever, right? Yep. So I, I know enough people at actually pretty senior positions in Google to to not really be too worried that they're using this stuff maliciously. For nefarious uh, purposes, no. Yeah, I, I don't think they are. Um, in fact, I'm, you know, quite sure they're not. Um, so it really all just comes down to how comfortable are you with with uh, somebody using knowledge of your activity uh, and, and uh, you know, sourcing ads and whatnot based on that activity in return for the free services that they're giving you. It's always kind of been that way. I mean, you are getting stuff for free out of Google, uh, essentially free. You can always turn it off and you can always choose not to use any of those services. You don't have to use Google Maps. And and admittedly, it's gotten a lot better in the last few years, I think. Like, I mean, it's kind of weird that, that, you know, when you switch from one service to another, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you get ads that are kind of, that seem to be, you know, tailored to your likes and dislikes. But then again, sometimes that's good. I mean, you know, I bought tickets today from a, for a concert coming up in October that you know I'm I would have been sorry to have missed you know mm-hmm. or missed mm-hmm. that opportunity right so and and I wouldn't have found out about it if it didn't come up in my Facebook feed right right um, I didn't go looking for it per se right but uh, you know it kind of it was associated with a, a show I'd seen in the past and blah 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 right but mm-hmm. um, you know it's kind of you you want it's that trusted advisor thing we talk about a lot of times with with Apple and stuff like that you want to sort of have have, it's nice to have somebody who knows you well enough to tell you something that you would actually be interested in. And I think that's what these algorithms are ultimately trying to do. Like that's the you know the high level requirement sort of thing is to come come at you and present things to you that you, Mark Rubin, would be interested in, right? Right. Um, I mean that's I mean and they've struggled with that over the years. I mean like and I can I you know you and I both were around long enough to know. 
that they used to look at our credit card bills, you know, back in the day when it was a paper bill, and they would look and see where where we shopped and what we shopped for. Not they, like Google or whatever, but that's how people marketing and doing sales would try and find out what you're interested in so that they could provide a service for you and make money, you know, doing that, right? right? And, you know, the the credit card company certainly knows everything you've ever bought. Of course, yeah. And and we don't say anything about that, right? Right. And the phone company knows everyone you've ever called or has called you. Yeah, yeah. And you're... ISP knows every website you've gone to. Yep, that's right. Unless you turn on Tunnel Bear or something like that and to, right. to block it, you know. Yeah, or or you use a you use like well, I mean, if you use Google Chrome, a lot of people use Google Chrome. Well, that's sort of that's out of the box. That's Google, and that's going to be you know having a look at what you're doing. If you're using Safari, you know, and we know that Apple is, is stepping forward, and and they they sort of take the position that it is creepy to sort of they're, they're not interested in the customer. The customer isn't their product. Is right. like what they like to say, right? Right. Um, they're more interested in, in creating an experience for us and being that trusted advisor again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, I just I love the, the sensor in the toilet analogy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, because that's where it's going, right? Yeah, <laughs> at I the guess end so. of the day, yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. All right, and there's a couple of article, other articles I have here are just quick hits on um, on the sort of app Mac and enterprise uh, stuff, which I, I seem to be interested in these days. And um, it was interesting that that uh, so one article here talks about um, um, and it's from computer world uh, about Jamf management with uh, with Macs and it's uh, geared towards you know uh, using a new MacBook Pros in enterprise um, and how Apple has you know they, they've stepped up the security uh, in in terms of how they're doing things the new that new T2 chip that we talked about um, sort of um, that's where the secure enclave lives and uh, so they can basically uh, encrypt your data you know right out of the box I think we've talked about that on the show before so even if you don't go in and turn file vault on they can sort of do some some level of encryption, but if you do turn file vault on, then then they're able to go in and, and do uh, even more stuff. And in in enterprise, uh, like places where I work, which is a bank, at the end of the day, um, you know, we basically want information to be secure. I mean, for any possible reason you could think of, um, you know, protecting our clients as well as protecting our, our IP and our, and our code. But there, it, it moves into this whole uh, uh, device enrollment program that uh, Apple has um, used, and they're using the the um, they used to use a thing called NetBoot and uh, Net Install, where you could have a server with an image on it, and it would, you know, you could basically just check out that image and load it up, and sort of in school environments and, and enterprise environments. And uh, and I think I mentioned on the show that uh, before that, High Sierra has stepped it up, where now um, Apple doesn't want us to make clones of, like, make an image like this. We used to in in IT, we used to make images of, like, we'd set up a make the Mac that we wanted it, you know, with Xcode and all the tools and couple of pods already installed make an image of that and then anytime a new Mac came in or we wanted to redeploy a Mac to a, to another user we would just image that you know perfect Mac onto the onto the machine and send them off into the world and away uh, you go but uh, um, because of things like we talked about like, uh, like SIP some memory protection basically Apple now recommends that we do a, an install from their servers so in other words you, you you know you do go into recovery mode and you and you build basically restore the OS from from Apple's cloud servers, right? Um, and so they've added this, this DEP uh, thing in so that um, devices can be enrolled in the enterprise program, which is what DEP stands for, Device Enrollment Program. And uh, then you have an MDM server, which would have, you know, certificates and, you know, uh, things that you might need to navigate the network or maybe set up your email account or set policies on the device to, you know, let allow users to do things or not do things, turn off services like Siri or what have you that may be restricted in your in- enterprise environment. And when you when the Mac enters, it's, it's enrolled in this program by by a reseller or by Apple Apple itself. You you put it on your network, you plug it in, um, enter some account information, and then it go, starts to deploy. It starts to set up set itself up and uh, apply all these policies automatically. So and you know download softwares that you might need um, that you've chosen to to use. Right. So that's cool. I mean it uh, it can do that kind of stuff. But there was a report, and this is another link that I've got here in the show notes that. Um, um, some, I guess, the what do you call those white hat, white hat, black hat kind of guys at a hacking conference discovered yeah. that they can actually get right in and remote hack over Wi-Fi one of these Macs before right out of the box before it's even deployed. Right? Mm. Um, I believe that if I if I'm, I I was reading about this the other day, I heard about this um, because it's posted on Wired again. Um, and but uh, I think that I had read that Apple has already patched this vulnerability between the DEP and the MDM um, because it 
kind of it gives access to um, yeah. So uh, yeah, so they found this this bug. They found I'll read it. But says we found a bug that allows us to compromise the device and install malicious software before the user even has logged in for the very first time. Mm. By the time they are logged in, and by the time they see the desktop, the computer is already compromised. So they had they had let Apple know about this, and Apple has uh, since patched it in in High Sierra ten thirteen six. But it's kind of it's kind of you know it's a trade off between you know having to be able to set these things up easily, and then and then I guess they they found a, a flaw in it in this uh, setup. So I don't know if you had a chance to scan through these at all, Mark. Or yeah, I've been looking at it. I mean, I, I, you know, this this article. I mean, it, it basically is. It's I, I kind of feel it's a little bit uh, clickbaitish, where it's they're implying that they're not by the title. When is, are the new Apple MacBook Pros Enterprise ready? And, you know, why would you write that article unless you're questioning whether they are? Uh, but, you know, by the time you get to the end of the article, it's like, yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And the same thing with uh, iOS devices, too. I mean, I think part of the, part of the reason why uh, Apple's Macs in particular are being are being looked upon as, as a solution in enterprise is primarily the halo effect from people using iPhones and people using iPod, iPads, you know, sure. yeah. in the workplace. Yeah. But also at the same time, a lot of, a lot of of places are, are moving more towards a, a fully cloud-based model. You know, if you use something like G Suite for all your business tools, uh, yeah. and if you have um, a, you know, a, a, a coding repo, you know, somewhere that's on a server and, and all developers just access that, uh, it almost matters less what type of machine you're using, right? Because you don't have a lot of proprietary software on there. Uh, all the data, well, not necessarily for the developer, but for, for business applications, all the data is stored not on the machine at all, but on the cloud. Uh, so, what type of machine you use, and and how you know super secure it is. Of course, it has to be reasonably secure. But it, you know, if, if the data is not on the machine, then you just got to make sure that you're protecting the machine from someone getting access to it, so that they can access the data that's already on the cloud. True. Yeah. So, so I think I think as as time goes forward, all these issues will get even less important. Well, it's true. Like in in our case here, like it's funny when I was being trained as a consultant back in the you know the 2000s you know um, a lot I would go into a lot of these enterprise seminars where you have enterprise and educational market you know IT people there and there was a lot of talk about like Apple had this whole when they were doing the server thing I don't know if you, they had like a built-in wiki you remember if you, if you remember, yep. remember that at all but um, they had wikis and they had chat and that's you know where iMessage and all that kind of came from and I mean it's been supplanted by other tools like Latsian suite right so like we use that for instance but you know and, and to be honest I would have thought, well, do I really need a? Do I, can I really see a, uh, the need for a wiki? And yet now we use Confluence at at the at our office, and it's sort of our own private Google because you know we we you know people like I can go in and create a you know a software design document, or I can go document you know, uh, like I said, I had the TD decoder ring, which is like a, a list of um, oh, was it TLAs? What do you call those three letter acronyms? TLAs, yeah, um, three or four letter acronyms, sometimes five letters, but um, you know, sort of, so that new people coming into the company, or people, even people experienced in the company who hear one of these things for the first time, can go look that up. But you know, if we didn't have, and, and if I wasn't able to make that and publish it to the, you know, the eight, you know, hundred thousand or eighty thousand people at work at, at the place I work, you know, then that would be kind of useless. So, so it's funny. I've come from the position of going, I what do I, I couldn't see a need for a wiki until I got into a place where I where I, I live on it, you know, yep. <laughs> kind of thing. I I published to it, right? So, um, and and it's right. You're right. That's that's all web-based it's all we're all using google chrome to look at that and of course then there's jira you know or or trello if you're doing uh, project management you know ticket management kind of stuff right um and you know that's all up in the cloud and you know now there's services like slack and hip chat that we all use to communicate about projects and just keep the dialogue going right you know mm-hmm. so do you guys use um slack and that kind of stuff at, at your oh, place yeah. or of course i work at a startup of course we use slack <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah no we use Slack extensively. I mean, it's it's, it's amazing sure. how um, how many you know how people can juggle fifty channels of, of this stuff at a time. I have trouble with just yeah yeah. <laughs> well, I remember when, so when my nephew was working for me, um, you know, I we were surprised that like uh, you know he would have he would have MSN open because that was about you were using back then, like it was like going back ten seven years, ten years, eight years, whatever. He'd have that open, and he'd have the internet open, and he'd, and he'd have his his Xcode open, and he'd be and he'd be just sort of juggling three conversations at a time. And yeah. kids doing homework are doing the same thing, right? Right. Yep. Um, you know, and, and and you're right. I mean, like, so when I first joined RayWarnerLake.com, they were still using IR, IR, 
RQ, IRC, which one is it? IRQ, which one's the, the internet ch- relay chat? I guess IRC. Uh, uh, IRC, I think, yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, I got I got in there, and I could log in, and I had no idea where to find a channel to talk to these, guy, these guys on. And then, you know, a couple of months later, they switched over to Slack, and it was like the, the lights came on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I could immediately find people and, and start chatting with them, and, yeah. So, it, like, including our own, you know, Tammy and I have uh, a Slack channel. I, we, we have one for the more for the podcast and we have I have one for Ray I'm going to 360 IDev in a couple of weeks and they have one now so you're right it's like our user group Taco has one it's like you know it's hard to keep I, I turn some of the channels off on my on my phones because I just can't keep track of them all right yeah so it's just too much but yeah it's it's it but it's funny like since we had this hip chat thing happen right um, all of a sudden now people are reevaluating whether whether we need to use hip chat and the loss of HipChat is going to be going to be a huge thing for, mm. for I think for a lot of companies who are I think Jaime was using HipChat over at OfferUp too right mm. so yeah it's gonna I don't know I don't know what's I don't know what people are doing who had sort of chosen that as their their line of communication right so what they're going to do yeah well you know? it reminds me a little bit of uh, what happened with Parse a few years back right yeah 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 same sort of thing you get heavily invested well third party dependencies right let's, yeah. let's talk about that for have I ever years. mentioned that before <laughs> 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 it's funny it was just talking to our senior our platform lead at, at the office about third-party dependencies the other day same had, had same argument could, i could just switch you with him and they have the same the same conversations you know? yeah. yeah well you get burned yeah, a few okay. times and you know you don't you don't want to get burned again yeah well i mean that same thing has happened to me like you know we i still have some some third-party dependencies in some of the apps that i use it and i've had to go in and fix the code because the guy's gone off he's he's got a day job or he's working at right. you know burger king or something flipping burgers and he's not doing his uh his his github anymore more right so um yeah and, and it's like you know like it's there isn't there isn't the opportunity or the funding or that whole what we were talking about you know money quality time thing you know a couple of those things aren't there for us to be able to go in and refactor all those things right so time and money right um so it cut the the, the code just sort of keeps going and i guess as long as it ain't broke you know whatever right but uh and then apple will come along and change it and make it make us uh make us update it right, right. the os <laughs> changes or or uh the world converts to swift from objective c and yeah. objective C that you're depending on. Yeah, I thought I died and went to heaven the other day because um, so I have a I have an intern working for me and she's so I've given her you know the big nerd ranch book to look through on Swift right and that kind of stuff and so she spent a week or so looking at that and then we got her to you know she was ready to start working on some bugs and so we gave her some bugs she committed some code and she came to me yesterday and she says um, I noticed a lot of the codes in Objective C do you have a book on Objective C I could look at mm. uh, you know <laughs> like do I have a book on Objective C <laughs> which one do you want? How, how many would you like? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So I, I delivered uh, Objective C by the Big Nerd Ranch to her today. So second edition, yeah. even mm-hmm. the Mac one <laughs> or the iOS one? Uh, it's I don't remember. No. Uh, yeah. I was. Yeah. I, I was probably. Or was I, I the language the, specific one? There's a language specific. One. Well, I have. I think. I think it's Objective C. I think it's just language specific, okay. it t- and it talks about Mac and and iOS at the very end of it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's. I think it's called. Um, oh, no. No, I'm gonna to have to look it up, but uh, yeah, and I have the I have the Dave Mark one, uh, Learning Objective C on the Mac book. Yep, I actually like this book. I, I used it. I, I looked at it. I, I like to grab uh, books on these things and just see different perspectives on how to teach the stuff. Right, mm-hmm. uh, Objective C. I don't even know if they, if they teach that anymore at uh, the Big Nerd Ranch. I got it signed actually. Oh yeah, the big uh, the Objective C programming Big Nerd Ranch guide. It's just yeah, it's just a, just a language. It was originally written by Aaron Hillegas, but Mikey um, and he actually signed it. He signed my copy when i when he came to teach us yes mikey ward yeah by aaron hillegas and mikey ward um yeah that's so i had mikey sign it when when i saw him in person i haven't seen aaron hillegas in years so otherwise would have got him to sign one of my books hmm. oh well he gave us some advice on uh, that original app we did two for couples that uh, kind of helped us out of a jam when we were first sort of figuring out how to we had we were stuck on one thing and aaron we were at a conference and aaron came around to our table and i asked him what, what should we do and he's like oh we should do it this way if that works and hmm. that, that's what we did mm-hmm. yeah so all good anyway so, I guess we're at the picks uh, part of the show, Mark. And do you have a pick uh, at all? I actually don't have a pick. Nope. <laughs> actually don't have a pick. I know. It's surprise, a big shock. Surprise, surprise, surprise. I know. Shocker. Totally shocking. Well, so I have a pick, but this pick is actually 
geared towards you, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's a there's a radio station here in uh, it used to be in Brampton. I don't know if they still are, uh, but it's called 102 The Edge, and uh, it's sort of been when I was going when I was a teenager, sort of or I guess university it came out of came out of there, and it was sort of the you know you have the sort of established radio stations that kind of play the you know the classic rock, and uh, we had you know they're all FM stations. They used to play like the entire side of Dark Side of the Moon that kind of stuff. And back in the day when you know popular music was you know the the BGS and Jackson Five and stuff like that, right? And ABBA. Um, so these sort of stations came along. Well, Edge was sort of the the sort of alternative rock radio station. Their 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 thing was the Spirit of Radio was their their call sign. In fact, Rush wrote a song called The Spirit of Radio, which some people say is about the about that style of music or that that choice of music, that taste in music. Um, you know, program directors were pretty loose and stuff like that. And one of the guys who worked there as a, as a DJ was a guy named Alan Cross, and so he started. I think in 19, according to the website, in 1992 or 93, he started this ongoing history of new music, right? And it was like a 15, half an hour long show where he would talk about specific aspects of, you know, rock and roll, basically, you know, or, or new wave or punk or what have you. And um, that's been going on the air for a number of years. I think they took it off the air maybe a couple of years ago. Don't throw things at the radio. I don't remember. But um, he's now turned it into a podcast. And so I, I download. I heard about it a couple of weeks ago. So I downloaded it uh, this weekend and, and, and listened to a couple of episodes. Last the last episode I listened to was was about uh, geniuses in rock and roll, like people like Brian Eno and stuff like that. And uh, uh, I think the, one of the guys in Blur and uh, uh, of course Radiohead as well. I think right. Uh, talking about the and oh and Joey Ramone, who was apparently you know a brilliant a brilliant guy too. But uh, but Joey Ramone was I think something about Joey Ramone and his parents. There was something he. There was some. I guess when he was going through uh, puberty or whatever, he was a little outlandish, and his parents sent him off to an insane asylum, and he was checked in, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, so and that's kind of sort of where the whole Ramon thing came from, and some of the some of the songs he wrote. Right, um, lobotomy. I think is one of the, one of the titles. I think that they played. Anyway, it's interesting stuff. It's sort of it's kind of the same sort of thing you and I talk about in the after show. All these sort of tidbits of information, and the one I heard this evening was called. Um, basically, it was like useless music trivia that this guy's collected over the years and, and he sort of presents he says I have no idea what to do with this I have no idea what the significance of it is but I just want to put it out there for people to listen to so apparently the guy who invented as an example the guy who invented daylight savings time right so he was I've forgotten his name now but um it was back in the early 1900s, and uh, he used to he used to like um, get up early in the morning, and then he, he would do things. And he would, at the end of the day, he would like to go and play around the golf. And what he noticed was that in the summertime, the sun wouldn't come up early enough for him to do his morning thing, and then in the evening, the sun would be going away, kind of thing. When he went to play golf, that doesn't sound right, does it? So he decided, and he noticed that when he was like, getting up to do things in the morning, people were still in bed because it was still, you know, according to the clock, it was still night, even though it was a beautiful summer day, right? So he proposed that they would uh, move the clocks forward so that, you know, the day would start earlier. And it's daylight savings time. So daylight saving time, not savings. Um, and uh, uh, and he sort of, this this is connected to Coldplay, actually, this, this story about uh, daylight savings time. And it wasn't until the war when they realized that, um, you know, uh, wars are expensive, as you know, to, to basically run. So the First World War, they, they found that there was some, I think, some uh, war act or whatever, they, they, they moved the clocks forward. And in fact, the Germans also did the same thing to give them more time, more time to manufacture things like bullets and tra- tanks and whatever, um, because they would have an extra you know the extra hour a day to kind of do that right and that's where daylight saving came from the whole like whole concept and but it turns out that the guy who put this idea forth in the per- first place was actually chris martin's great great grandfather and, and then of course they played the music the song so- uh, clocks by coldplay right hmm. anyway, it was interesting stuff like that like that sort of sort of examples of stories like that he talked about brian Eno being you know uh you know music producer and record producer and artist and and how he um, has a couple of creative, you know, he's written ambient music for uh, music for air, airports using uh, ambient tones and things like things like that that make you relax and hmm. not worry about your lost baggage and that kind of stuff. Um, but he also talked about, you know, if you ever get stuck in a in a slump and you have um, you're you're stuck, there's a there's a, a an essay that. Um, Brainino's put online. In fact, he's also done an iOS, a couple of iOS apps. I think I have them. One called Bloom, which lets which lets you create ambient music yourself. But 
He has this thing called Oblique Strategies, if you Google that. Um, oh, I've heard of and this. And you can go yeah. there. Yeah, so if you get stuck in a creative process or something like that, you go to the site and it kind of gives you it, it gives you a, a, a thought or uh, an inspiration to sort of break you out of that. You know, I think originally it was, it, it was flashcards. This is way before there was an internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd buy yeah. a box of cards and they'd have all these just random things that you read it and it makes you go, hmm, and start thinking about it and it breaks you out of your... Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I, I, I vaguely remember that it was one of I think it was his first iOS app, actually, mm-hmm. from Brian, you know, right? The, um, this Oblique Strategies app. I don't know if it's... It may have been before. Um, it, it may not be 64-bit compatible. Let's put it that way. So yeah, and, and even the blue music. But but yeah. So I, I highly encourage people. I know we talk about music a lot on the show. We might drive people crazy with it. But um, if you're interested in music history at all, like I mean, and not we're not talking Mozart and whatever. Oh, mind you, I think they did find that on the useless information one, they found that chickens lay eggs better if you play Mozart to them. Hmm. Well, that's not useless. If you have chickens, you want more eggs. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Here, here's a, here's a piece. Of, this is my most useful, but but also kind of like really uh, pieces of yeah. music, music uh, trivia. So right. you know who Olivia Newton-John's grandfather was? You could Google it, but but uh, do you well, know? so oh, yeah. she's from Australia. So is that, right. is that is that my close? No, not at all. No, <laughs> no. Oh, okay, all right. Maybe she maybe she moved there and she's or her family moved there. I have no idea. Oh, uh, no, I have no idea. Isaac Newton. Yeah, actually, you're, you're sort of on the right track, but Isaac, Isaac Newton would be way too old. Uh, her grandfather oh. was the Nobel Prize winning physicist Max Born, one of the one of the early, oh, really? early people in uh, in quantum mechanics. Yeah, really. Wow. Yep. Oh. So there you go. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> that was pretty useless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let me just uh, have a quick look but here. At people the... always say something like "really," you know, like, no, really? no Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. yeah. No, I was saying "really" to your fact that people would say "really." Ah. Yeah. Well, well they do. Stream music. Oh, there's actually a Wikipedia page. Let's see. I was trying to find his website, actually. It had a quick synopsis of it. Yeah, CFNY is the state. Yeah, started in 1993. I was so close. Um, this uh, ongoing history of music. Yeah, and sort of, it got shorter and shorter over time. But yeah, now it's, a, now it's a podcast. So hey, you can listen to it on your commute, Mark. All right, so. check it out. It looks like they only have 100 episodes up there now on iTunes. Yeah, of this show? Yep. Okay, well, I'm looking on Wikipedia. He started in 92 with uh, History of Alternative Music, Punk, mm-hmm. 1963 to 72. And it goes, and that's episode two. Yeah, no, and then, on iTunes right now, I'm looking at it now. There's exactly 100 episodes. The earliest one. Well, then it's been out for a while, now, I guess. 17. So, so, Sorry? so maybe it's maybe iTunes only will show you the last 100 episodes. No, I think we have we have all of our showing. Hmm. We're at 207. Yeah. So I, the uh, last one was uh, May 27th. Uh, 24 years of the Van Van's Warp Tour. I think it's the Van Halen Warp Tour. Episode 824. So this been it's been around for a while. Long like, time. So, yeah. Yeah. 800 episodes of on on the air. Um, I don't know if it's ever been compiled to be, or if you can go to their station and stream it. But I guess now they're they're throwing it up on the uh, on the po- as a podcast. And I, I assume the podcasts are new episodes. But uh, yeah, who knows? Um, iTunes has the latest one is August fifteenth today. Actually, useless information. Yeah, but I, I don't know if they're republishing the old show. Is what I'm saying, right? Well, that's what I was saying. It's it only goes back up to 100 episodes to uh, February of 2017, at least as far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah, so on the edge, it's just got a on the edge website. It's got just um, edge.ca. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, it just sort of says um, does, what does it say? Yeah, it's got. Then you can stream it right off the website too. Yeah, eggheads and geeks was the uh, was last week's, and, and useless information was this one. But you can always go back and you know listen to previous episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's my pick for the week is the okay. ongoing history of new music. I'll have to check it out. All right. Okay, Mark. So if people want to get a hold of you on the interwebs, how would, how would they do that? Mark R at mapsoft.com. All right. And I'm Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter is probably the best way to get a hold of me. And so until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash MTJC. 
You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Did I tell you about the the interesting show I'm going to on November 7th? The reason I can't make it to the... No, what's that? It's called Generation Axe. Have you heard about this? Generation Axe? No, but I I assume it... Oh, is this this the um, Steve Vai, Eddie, Eddie, whatever his name is? No, Um, Eddie, but it's Steve Vai. It's... um, Joe Satriani. Betancourt. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, um, Zach Wild. Right. And uh, Ingve Malmsteen. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And a right. couple others. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be kind of metal oriented, a little more metal yeah. than I usually like. But, but, but what, wait, what, what about Buckethead? Well, Buckethead is like is, a thrasher. Nah, Buckethead's different. I mean, he's he plays very fast, but, and he has, you know, some metal in what he what he yeah. does, but but he's he's actually very melodic. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely not thrash. It's definitely not thrash metal. Yeah, none of this. You know, just you know, as fast as you possibly can play. You know, the music I don't understand is is the it's like a metal type where the singers sing as like as if their throats (laughs) are like. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I saw this. I saw this one really good looking, you know, singer, lady singer. Yep. And people are going on about how beautiful she was and whatever. And I thought, oh, let's go have a look. Let's listen to the music. And I get in there, and and she's good looking, like sort of Linda McCartney blonde kind of woman, you know, uh-huh. and uh, just opens her mouth and just like vomit comes out of it. Huh. <laughs> yeah, Sounds like I mean, vomit. That was, that was kind Kids of, these days. Yeah, that was kind of the style in the 90s, I guess, right? Well, 90s and beyond. Yeah, they don't do like that anymore? Or thrash metal. I, I don't, they might. I, I just, I'm not aware of it if they do. I mean, I have to be really pissed off at somebody to, to, to holler like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where you're just, you're just at the end of your throat and you're just like, blah. Yeah. How oh, interesting. There, uh, somebody posted a, a glyph, a gif of the, uh, the the doors at Apple. I heard about these at the... We had our taco meetup the other day and they were talking about the doors. Apparently Apple has the largest um, double opening doors on the Apple oh, Park. I heard about that. Yeah, I heard about that. I haven't seen it, yeah. but I've heard about it. It's like four stories tall or something <clears throat> like that. So I'm going to paste this above the Ask MTJC there from Randy Ritchie. Yeah, I heard that like there's a metal frame and these huge giant doors. Mm-hmm. Lunchtime at Apple Park just got a whole more exciting. Wow. Like the Sky Dome opening almost, eh? Yeah. The tweet from Tim Cook, actually. Wow, that's cool. Mm. wonder what that does for their AC bill. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they know revolving doors? Are the... It's funny, you know, we have revolving doors on all of our buildings downtown. Of course, you know, I, I'm in the Heritage Building, so it was revolving doors from the 60s. So they're, they're, they kind of go at the speed that people push them at, you you know, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes I find like you know I don't like to go through them super fast, but people like really you know, get them going. And sometimes like, I feel like I'm getting knocked over by the. I wonder how many people fall fall inside those things because other people are pushing too fast or whatever. Yeah. Oh, because mul- mul- uh, multiple people are going through it at the same time. It's one of those. Yeah. Because a lot of them now are they're big enough that you really can't get too many people in there at the same time. You know. Yeah. Well, now they have the automatic ones that that, that kind of sense when people are there and they kind of just rotate yeah. really slowly. You can get like a clump of people in. Yeah. A lot of individuals. Yeah. Anyway, they're apparently they're in, you know, <coughs> keeps, the, keeps the heat or the air conditioning in, in the building. Mm. It's all about saving energy, I guess. Yeah. Is, so with Apple, you know, it's been sort of uh, coolish, not cold, but, you know, not hot. So so they could probably open those and just turn the air conditioning off right now. Right. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it humid down there? Don't you get your humidity like we do up here? It's not particularly humid here. Uh, it can get it can get pretty hot in the summer, but it's usually not that humid because we're sort of on the edge of the desert over here. Right, yeah. So for us, it's like, you know, we'll get, well, in Celsius, we'll get 29 or 30 degrees, 35 degrees. 30 degrees is kind of high for us, maybe all the way up to 40. But the, the, yeah. with the humidity, they say it makes it feel like 90 kind of thing, right? So, yeah. You know, I walk home from work at night, and by the time I get, get home, or even if you go for like a five-minute walk outside, you're you're just dripping with sweat just from the humidity. In fact, the other day I took a picture. Um, it did actually rain, but I took a picture just before, like it was so humid, we had a rainbow. <laughs> You know, as the sun was going down, and then, but then, then it did, did start to a few drops came down afterwards. I'm not sure if I was seeing the rainbow from rain off in the distance or whatever, but yeah, it was very, it was like really weird, like very humid.
Right. And now it's the after show. But we don't have a cool cool transition. <laughs> the whole show was anyway. the after show this time pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we didn't we didn't go we didn't diverge. We we kept on kept on subject here, you know. That's true. That's true. Yeah, usually we just go all over the place in the after show. Yeah. 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 So I told you about a Rickenbacker, right? No, you didn't. Like, a bass or a guitar? Uh, get bass. I've always wanted to bass. get a 4000 series bass, so I bought a 4003, okay. so I've been trying to learn uh, some stuff. I started playing around with... Uh, I was talking to somebody online about uh, jamming online, like... Um, some of those uh, guitars that I was uh, playing with online. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I see these guys at, at conferences and stuff like that, but it's hard for me to bring my guitars across the border because yeah. I'm, I'm always concerned that the airlines will smash my guitars, you know? Yep. Plus, it costs like 50 bucks to bring one over the, like, to, to bring it on a plane, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost worth it to go, go buy a cheap guitar and then, you know, <laughs> give it away when I'm done, you know, for a weekend or something like that. Or rent one, I guess. I guess you can rent, rent one from a music store. Or just start a but chain. That, so you, you give it to someone at the conference with the, yeah, with the, that they have to give it to someone else at the next conference. Oh, that's an interesting and, idea. Yeah, you know, eventually it might come back to you. Yeah. Well, I have a cottage guitar like that too. Like I, I, I was up at the cottage and I used uh, hauling my guitar back and forth. And there's all there isn't always room in the uh, in the in the car for the for the guitars, right? So I, I bought one up at the cottage for like a hundred bucks. It was like a, it was actually a nice guitar. It's an um, Epiphone with a bit of a warped neck, but still, you know, for hundred bucks, just to noodle away at the, sure, at the cottage, a, you know, just a hack hack guitar. Yeah, yeah. just not a big deal. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I've been playing with this bass, and I have to change my playing style a bit because uh, it's a little different than my Fender Jazz bass that I have. So, do you play with? And I've been using my my fingers. Sorry, do you play with the pick or with fingers? Just the fingers. I've I've played I play everything with my fingers. I don't I don't really use yeah. a pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I used I, mean, I use it occasionally, but yeah, I have a weird picking style. I just use my index finger and my thumb. So mm. for most things, I can use my other two fingers, but I don't really think it's like. You know, I'm a self-taught guitarist, so I have this odd picking style. Yep. <laughs> you know, and then uh, same thing with my typing. I still, I still don't quite touch type, but oh well. Yeah, me neither. I'm just, I've gotten fast enough at my own style that I, I don't need to touch type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny though. I, so I was, I, was, I think I was telling you about neuroplasticity before that article I wrote on, which was called, you know, learning after fifty. What I found while I was doing the research was about neuroplasticity and how you can actually teach yourself things um, in in short short bursts. Right, so I've been applying that to learning some songs and stuff like that. And it's actually coming up pretty good. Like you know, the song by Ten CC that I've always wanted to learn how to play, and so I, I you know, over I guess about a week or so, I kind of just took took little stabs at it, and and now I can actually get almost all the way through the song without uh, too much trouble. Oh, nice. So yeah, and then so I was what I was saying about this this. Um, talking to the other guitar the other people like we can do it like we do on this podcast where we use zoom to sort of hook up and because you and i hear each other we're not talking at the exact same milliseconds as each other right. like you're not responding to what i say there's a lag right right but it's not noticeable to us when we're having this conversation right unless we try and talk to each other at the same time right <laughs> yeah sometimes we overlap but but you know generally it, it works out all right i find that the more people more people that are on the call the more likely we are to overlap and crash into each other that's true that's true but um the uh well, well, I mean, there is a bit of, there's also the internet lag too. And then like, yeah, you get yeah. some wobbles in people's voices, but, um, but so what we do here is we like do a double end and we try and record on both sides, right? Well, you could do the same thing with, with playing live music. And then when you put, come together and sync it back up, away you go. Cause you know, one of the things about playing in a band is you get, you know, four people who are relatively adequate at what they're playing. Right. Um, and then if you hit that sweet spot, you get that kind of groove going, you get in the zone, you know, yep. and it sounds really cool. But, uh, so I was trying to do that myself. So I got garage band out. So I played some bass lines and tried to play and sing over top of it. And it, it just sounds like me being bad on four channels. <laughs> <laughs> well, without the other people there to, to you know, get feedback from or, or play off of, it's... Yeah. That. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I think it, it's also in how you mix it, too. Like, you know, the bass and drum tracks are pretty... The drum tracks are... Um, it's funny, the, the garage band um, drummer, the virtual drummers that they have in there are actually pretty good. Like, yeah. if you just do yeah. a basic drum track, right? Um, but... Uh, and, and you can you know have them do different kind of fills and stuff like that but yeah it's just doing a very basic song you know take me to the river by the talking heads you know which is you know an easy bass part and easy guitar part so but yeah it just it sounded brutal but that was our warm-up song when we used to play when i used to play in a band because it's just a way to warm up for everybody at the same time we all knew the song and Mm -hmm. you know but uh, sometimes we would hit it on the mark and it would be beautiful right out of the box and sometimes it was like you know pulling your teeth out we used to use uh down by the river by neil by neil young which is a really yeah, that's a, that's a good yeah. that's a good sort of uh, riffy song, right? Yeah, it's just, I like that you know, one. Three chords and uh, and yeah. just jam, people can jam over it. Yeah, it's got that 
that twenty minute long jam session in the middle of it, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried to introduce that one to my to my guys, but they never really kind of bought into it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that does that is kind of because like, it's got that you know cool bass groove and stuff like that, right? So, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun song. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just look at this. This um, they got a playlist published here on uh, on the Edge website. You can look at their playlist, I guess, for the day or what they're playing right now. So they're currently playing uh, Poets by the Tragically Hip, mm. and then they're coming up with uh, Pretender by the Foo Fighters, Death Cab for Cutie. This is I don't know half of these songs. Tokyo Police Club, Arctic Monkeys, Trouble Charger, Stone Temple Pilots. So this is so like forth. the '90s indie rock channel. Yeah, as I said, it was sort of their. I think yeah, I think I think um, to be honest with you, I think I started listening to them in the '90s because that's kind of when they they sort of found their their groove, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 90, I don't know. I found the '90s a tough tough era of music. Yeah, I didn't. All that. I didn't listen to a lot of uh, new music in the nineties. Yeah, I was still listening yeah. to a lot of Grateful Dead and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing here. Yeah, I'm sure the people in the nineties are yelling at their phones right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah was, there them. was a lot of stuff going on. The whole grunge thing was going on. So there were a bunch. Yeah, of, you know, yeah. Pearl Jam and yeah, yeah. yeah. That stuff yeah. came a little bit later though. I'm talking about like ninety. Oh well, so I graduated university in '84, so I think I, I think I'm th- probably thinking of late '80s. So it was probably pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah that was and, that know, was just, REM and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh no, we had some we had some Canadian bands that were being repeatedly played up here. Mm-hmm. You, ever, you ever heard of the Thompson Twins? Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, mind you, I guess they were. They might not have been Canadian. They might have been Australian or something. But and um, who were those guys? The, the brother that killed them, that, that hung himself. Um, Michael Hutchins. Uh, what's that band called? Hmm? I have no idea. In excess. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Remember In excess? Vaguely. <laughs> they were before Nirvana. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Anyway. What else is going on? Uh, not a whole lot. I was just in uh, Albuquerque over the weekend. Oh yeah, how was Albuquerque? Albuquerque. It was it was fun. Yeah, a friend of mine from college got uh, married, second marriage. Yeah. So a few of uh, a few of us from the old days came up to the wedding. So that cool. was kind of fun. Um, college. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty years ago. Hmm. So wow. it's the only the second time I've ever been in Albuquerque, and the first time was one of these. It was a business trip where I just flew down the night before and spent the day at the plant, and then left. You know, so I didn't see anything. Uh, this this was you know this was a little bit more of a trip. Got to see a bit of the downtown and eat some Mexican food with some delicious uh, chilies. Uh, they're really big on the hatch chilies down there. So pretty spicy food. Hatch chilies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it's a type. So isn't of that the home of Breaking Bad? It is, as a matter of fact. But yeah. Is it, yeah. Did they actually film it there, or is it just? They did. They did. And, and interestingly enough, uh, when in the final season, when it was when it was wrapping up, they had a uh, a Walter White, who's the main character, lookalike contest. So oh, really? Yeah. Dress up and and you know see who looked like like uh, the main character, and they got a bit role in one of the shows. Well, my friend, the one who got married, won the contest. No he way! Exactly like him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. What do you know? So that was his brush with fame. <laughs> so he, he was actually in the show. You said? Yeah. He. I, I think he had like a bit role, just like a walk-on role. You know. I mean, probably didn't even say anything, but just kind of walked on. And was hmm. yeah. Yeah, 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 kind of interesting. I have another friend who's a career as a as an extra. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like a biker, right? Okay, I think he probably plays plays a lot of those kind of roles. Right, right. You know, biker number twelve or whatever. Right. And speaking <laughs> of Breaking Bad, the new season of Better Call Saul has uh, has been. I think it's been through two episodes so far. Yeah. Are you watching? Yeah, yeah of course I am. Yeah. There oh, you are. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far, yeah, so what it, yeah. Starting off a little slowly as usual, but you know, yeah. there's some good Gus Fring stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. The last episode was pretty good. Yep. with him specifically. Yep. I think he's starting to starting to stretch his wings now that Salamanca's in uh, in a coma. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it should be spoilers. Good. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> he ends up in a wheelchair. Spoilers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Tuco. Yep. Poor Tuco. Actually, we haven't seen much of Tuco. We've... Well, which which that's, is the young, the young Nacho. guy? Nacho. 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 Yeah. Right. Which one's Tuco? Tuco is Salamanca's nephew. Who oh. was the first season of Breaking Bad? He was kind of the you know the the the, the main boss for that level right before they got to the big boss right right the first season he's the one that got blown up walter white blew right. him up. that's a spoiler too i guess <laughs> oh if you don't know walter white blew him up that's a, that's a long time ago right yeah so who's the guy that so the uh, ermine trout um mike wasn't yeah wasn't somebody trying to 
watch maybe it was Emmer Trout and maybe thinking of um, uh, Better Call Saul from a couple of seasons ago. Wasn't he like like looking at somebody through a site or whatever? He's yeah, yeah. And they were tracking him, uh, and it was it was I think it was, wasn't it Gus? Was it Gus? I think it was I think it was Gus or Gus's mm. people. I think so. Mm. Oh, oh, with the with the thing in his wheel well, or right, whatever. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Stuff, yeah. Well, it's turning out pretty good. I'm watching another show. Uh, I mentioned it last week called um, Sandra O. Oh. Yeah, wasn't she in um, that Doctor show? Yeah. Oh, look at this thing. It's a new, it's a, I was talking about it last week, but I couldn't remember the name of the show, and it was, or two weeks ago. It's called Killing Eve, hmm. which is really good. Oh, and the other one is, the other one watching is, um, and it's actually on tonight, is um, Castle Rock, the Stephen King one. I think it's the last serial he put out. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's just started up. Uh, it's probably about uh, four episodes in. It's hmm. really cool. Okay. It's that whole sort of multiverse, you know, the Shawshank uh, prisons in there, and I guess the town of Castle Rock is a, a fictitious town in uh, Maine, right? Mm. It takes place in Maine. By the way, I mentioned last week that, or last time I thought this uh, Sandra O oh was from um, out west somewhere. She's actually from Nepean, Ontario, which is near near Ottawa. Mm. Yeah, which is where, uh, near where Alanis Morissette's from, and I think um, Avril Lavigne is from Nepean as well. Wow. Yeah, small world. Three powerful Canadian women. Well, one and a half, two and a half, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yay, Canada. Go Canada. Yeah. Anyway, okay, I guess that's about all we get say, huh? I said Castle Rock's on Hulu. I don't have Hulu. Oh, you have Hulu? No. Oh, well. Can't have them all. Yep, yep. All right. Yeah, I guess that's about it. All we got to say, yeah, we'll call it a night. All right. All right. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.